Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, YouTube, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. United Nations Secretary General Guterres has asked to meet with Putin and Zelensky in their capitals to mediate peace in Ukraine. The United States and South Korea militaries have begun another drill despite pleas from North Korea to cancel them. North Korea will hold a military parade next Monday, the 90th anniversary of their armed forces. China signed a security agreement with the Solomon Islands just days before a visit from the United States. The U.S. and the Philippine defense ministers met in Washington. Japanese researchers say that the concentration of greenhouse gas methane in the atmosphere is at its highest level ever recorded. Japanese corporations are working together to produce and sell sustainable aviation fuel, SAFs, a biofuel that is mixed into jet fuel which can reduce carbon dioxide emissions by about 80%. NHK Japan UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has asked to meet with the leaders of Russia and Ukraine in their respective capitals. The Secretary-General said at this time of great peril and consequence, he would like to discuss urgent steps to bring about peace in Ukraine and the future of multilateralism based on the Charter of the UN and international law. Guterres sent letters to Putin and Zelensky requesting meetings in Moscow and Kiev. The letters were handed to the permanent missions of Russia and Ukraine in New York on Tuesday. Guterres has repeatedly expressed a willingness to serve as a mediator in efforts to reach a ceasefire. Guterres also called for a four-day humanitarian truce starting on Thursday to coincide with the Easter holidays observed by the Orthodox Church. The United States and South Korea have begun their joint military drills despite repeated demands from North Korea to cancel them. South Korean military officials say forces will respond to a simulated emergency situation on the Korean peninsula. The exercises that started Monday will continue through April 28th. Computer-simulated defensive drills will be carried out instead of live-fire training. The South Korean military says its aim is to bolster capabilities by by enhancing operational readiness. North Korea harshly criticized the drills, saying they're a senseless confrontation against a nuclear power that will only hasten the countdown to annihilation. Countries in the region remain on high alert for possible provocations by Pyongyang, which could include launching more ballistic missiles or conducting a seventh nuclear test. 
Defense sources in Seoul say North Korea is preparing to hold a military parade to mark the 90th anniversary of its armed forces next Monday. The sources say a large amount of equipment has been assembled at an airport outside Pyongyang where rehearsals are being held. They estimate more than 20,000 personnel could take part. South Korea's Yonhap News Agency reports tanks, armored vehicles and mobile missile launch pads have been moved to the airport ahead of the parade. Now, the last time North Korea held an event of this size involving its regular army was in January last year. It showcased what appeared to be a new submarine-launched ballistic missile. China says it signed a security agreement with the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific. The move comes ahead of a visit by senior U.S. officials to the islands and amid concerns over Beijing's increasing presence in the region. The two sides will maintain social order, protect lives and property, and cooperate in humanitarian aid and responses to natural disasters. The security cooperation is open and transparent and does not target any third party. The spokesperson did not reveal any details of the pact. The leaders of Australia and New Zealand had voiced concern after Australian media reported on a leaked draft of the pact in March. The report said it would allow the Solomon Islands to request China to dispatch military personnel and police to the nation. The draft would also allow Chinese vessels to visit and refuel at ports there. China's announcement comes just days before the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden sends senior officials to the Solomon Islands. The White House says the visit aims to deepen ties with the region and advance advance what it calls a free, open and resilient Indo-Pacific. Defense officials from the United States and the Philippines say they'll deepen bilateral cooperation. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin met with his Philippine counterpart Delphine Lorenzana in Washington. Top of mind was Beijing's increasing military activities in the South China Sea. Earlier this month, the U.S. and the Philippines concluded one of their largest ever joint military exercises. The event drew the ire of Chinese President Xi Jinping. He told his Philippine counterpart Rodrigo Duterte, stronger military alliances are not the way to ensure regional security. She also said Manila should seek to work closer with Beijing. Japanese researchers say the concentration of the greenhouse gas methane in the Earth's atmosphere was at its highest level on record. The data was obtained by the Japanese greenhouse gas observation satellite Ibuki and dates back to 2010. It shows the average global methane concentration in the atmosphere throughout 2021 stood at 1,857 parts per billion. The rate of increase was double the average annual amount during the previous years. Scientists believe methane has a greenhouse effect about 30 times greater than carbon dioxide. Its sources include microbes in rice paddies and other marshy areas, belching by cows, and fossil fuel extraction. A researcher says the main cause of the rise in methane concentration may have come from nature as opposed to man-made sources. Reducing human-originated emissions is a basic task, but we also need to take into account natural factors and implement measures to steadily reduce methane concentration in the air. He pointed out global economic activity was sluggish last year amid the coronavirus pandemic. 
Japanese trading firm Mitsubishi Corporation and oil wholesaler Enels are joining hands in a bid to help Japan's airline industry achieve carbon neutrality. The two companies have agreed to work together on producing and selling sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, in the country. SAF is a biofuel made from plants and waste oil. It is mixed into regular jet fuel. SAF can reduce carbon dioxide emissions by about 80% compared with conventional fossil fuels. The two companies aim to capture some of the growing domestic demand for the alternative fuel. There have been other moves in Japan aimed at ensuring soft supply in the face of rising global demand. Sixteen Japanese firms, including airlines and factory construction companies, launched a new organization in March for domestic production. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The Mexican Senate passed a bill to nationalize lithium mining. The Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov says that the Russian objectives in Ukraine have not changed. An Oxford professor analyzes and critiques what Lavrov said, and whether sanctions against Russia are changing the course of the war. Israeli warplanes bombed the Gaza Strip after Palestinian extremists fired four rockets into southern Israel. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Mexico's Congress has passed a controversial bill to nationalize lithium mining. The mineral is vital for the modern tech industry, but is the government up to the task of managing such a crucial industry? Lithium is crucial to products ranging from cell phones to PCs to electric cars. It's one of the most valuable materials on the planet and is often called a new white gold. The Mexican Senate has just passed the lithium amendment to the country's mining law. Private companies, both domestic and foreign, are excluded from mining lithium. And existing contracts to mine lithium will be reviewed, which could cause problems with overseas investors. The draft decree reforming the mining law has been approved. For President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, the lithium bill is a kind of consolation prize. On Sunday night, his plans for a broader constitutional overhaul of the electricity sector were defeated. Mexico's deposits of the metal are mainly found in the northern state of Sonora, where drug traffickers and other organized crime gangs operate. The law will give a state-run company exclusive rights to mine lithium. However, such a company does not yet exist, and the Mexican government has no experience in the commercial mining of lithium. Well, Russia's foreign minister has today confirmed that a new stage in what the Kremlin calls a special military operation has begun. Sergei Lavrov says that Moscow's overall objectives have not changed. Take a listen. Operation in the east of Ukraine uh, is uh, uh, aimed, as was announced from the very beginning, to fully liberate the Donetsk and Lugansk republics. And this operation uh, will, will continue. It is beginning, uh, I mean, another stage of this operation is beginning, uh, and I'm sure this will be 
uh, a very important moment of this entire special operation. I am for more now. I'm joined by Samuel Romani. He teaches politics and international relations at Oxford University. He's also the author of the forthcoming book, Putin's War on Ukraine. What do you make of what we just heard from Sergei Lavrov there? Um, basically saying this goal of taking control of Donbass remains and nothing has changed. What, how do you read that? Well, I think that obviously the war was justified at the start as a mission to protect uh, the people of Donbass, the ethnic Russians who were living there, from what Vladimir Putin called an alleged genocide from the Ukrainians. And that's why the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics were recognized right before the war, and they were the two republics that invited Russia into this, first in a peacekeeping capacity and then in an official uh, military capacity. So uh, Russia's keeping its rhetoric uh, consistent, but I think it's got much bigger goals, probably still a regime change in Kiev, even if uh, Lavrov denies that. And if Russia were to be able to capture the east, the Donbass, would they be able to hold on to it long term? Well, I think that some areas they have a good chance of holding on to. For example, they're already starting their offensive in areas like uh, Rubizhny and Papazna, which are vital for the uh, consolidation of the Luhansk Oblast into uh, Russia's uh, orbit. So uh, once that's uh, settled, as well as Donetsk, they'll probably seek to bring Donetsk and Luhansk formally annexed into Russia, much like Crimea. The rest of the uh, regions, maybe aside from Kurzon, which they captured uh, with little resistance early on, there'll probably be a lot of insurgencies and a lot more problems. So if they were to capture Kharkiv and Odessa, they'll have a lot harder time keeping that than they would keeping territory in Donetsk and Luhansk, simply because the pro-separatist militias there are strong forces that can police and create a near totalitarian environment for the Russians. And what about the weapon known as economic sanctions that the West has slapped on Russia? Those don't take effect overnight, but we heard today from the head of the Russian Central Bank that the entire economy is now beginning to feel the bite of those sanctions. How important is that of a weapon in determining the outcome of this war? Well, economic sanctions are certainly going to bite, and the Russians are doing all they can to paper over the cracks. We've already seen the central bank cut interest rates after doubling them to 20%, then cutting them to 17%, and now probably cutting them down to maybe 15% on the 29th of April. We're seeing them increase uh, spending, increase pensions, to try to alleviate the short-term shocks. But uh, I don't think the sanctions are going to stop the war. The only way in which uh, sanctions could put uh, Russia's operations to a halt is if all European countries all of a sudden were to stop uh, buying Russian energy, which is extremely remote. It's got to be phased out. Or if some of the countries that are still trading with Russia, in particular China, were to make a drastic move away. And that doesn't seem to be happening. So I think the sanctions will erode the Russian economy in the long term, but they won't lead to a quick uh, ending of the war. Israeli warplanes struck the Gaza Strip overnight after Palestinian extremists fired four rockets into southern Israel. It's the biggest escalation between Hamas, an Islamist group which governs the Palestinian territory, and Israeli forces since last year's 11-day war. That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. RT, Russia Today, has not had any new programs from its British producers, Afshin Ratansi and George Galloway, for weeks. I finally found out why from George Galloway's YouTube channel. 
And then there was the military and strategic giant Scott Ritter, a former U.S. Marines intelligence officer, a former head United Nations arms inspector, who dismantled weapons of mass destruction in the former Soviet Union and in Iraq. His take, his analysis on the war has now been taken from us, like Pepe Escobar, brutally cancelled by the big mainstream social media platforms. Of course, you can still find both of these significant political, cultural, military, strategic figures if you go searching for them. But you do have to go searching for them. I myself am threatened with uh, the removal of my right to travel outside of the country. In other words, my passport might be confiscated were I to make a television program in Britain for RT. Now, I have no problem with the British state deciding uh, that nobody in Britain can watch me on RT. That's a matter for them and for the British people that should be taking them to account. But hasn't it come to something when a figure like me, almost 30 years a member of the British Parliament, I think most people would agree a prominent voice in British politics for many years, a man who not even one year ago polled 22% of the vote in a parliamentary by-election. Someone like me, the leader of a registered British political party, the Workers' Party of Britain, a man whose work has appeared everywhere from the Sunday Times to the Spectator to the New Statesman to the Guardian, all over the place. Over decades, you have been able to see what it is that I have to say. But if you are seeing me on Twitter right now, you are seeing me with a falsely applied label just underneath my name, which seeks to discredit anything that I have to say, and which comes accompanied by a shadow ban, making it extraordinarily unlikely that unless you go looking for my tweets that you will ever see them again. That statement was by George Galloway on his YouTube channel where he still posts his independent productions. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please, help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet like listeners in McKinleyville and Willits, California did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. A British court moved one step closer to extraditing Julian Assange to the United States. Climate campaigners with Extinction Rebellion shut down four major bridges in London, demanding an end to fossil fuels. Israeli settlers stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque under the protection of the Israeli military. 
than a viewpoint on British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement that asylum seekers will be flown 7,000 kilometers away to Rwanda while they will be given visas to stay there. Radio Havana, Cuba. After a London court sent his handover to the British government for approval, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has moved one step closer to being extradited to the United States, where he is set to be tried on Espionage Act charges for his role in publishing classified military documents. The court issued a formal extradition order in a hearing Wednesday, leaving UK Home Secretary Preeti Patel to approve his transfer to the United States after a years-long legal struggle. According to reports from London, Assange is still able to appeal the decision. If sent to the United States to face charges of treason for publishing classified files that revealed war crimes by the United States and its allies, he could be sentenced to 175 years in prison. There is a huge international movement to stop his extradition and free him from prison. Assange is being held in a high-security prison in Belmarsh, southeast of London. In related news, Australia's Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, or MEAA, has called on the federal government of Australia, that is now in a caretaker mode, ahead of the May 21 poll, to use its close ties with the United States and the UK to end the extradition push and drop all 18 charges against him. The union, of which Assange has been a member since 2009, argues the scope of the US charges could imperil any journalist around the world who writes about its government. Karen Percy, MEAA Media Federal President, stated, quote, Julian Assange's work with WikiLeaks was important and in the public interest. Exposing evidence of war crimes and other shameful actions by U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. The stories published by WikiLeaks and its mainstream media partners more than a decade ago were picked up by news outlets around the world. The charges against Assange are an affront to journalists everywhere and a threat to the freedom of the press. Over the weekend, climate campaigners shut down four major bridges in London as part of a wave of actions against the United Kingdom to demand an end to fossil fuels. The UK Arm of Extinction Rebellion, or XR, confirmed members of the group blocked the Blackfriars, Lambeth, Waterloo and Westminster bridges. The activist group vowed to keep demonstrating until the UK government aligns its policy with climate science and highlighted that globally, quote, we are on track for a catastrophic three-degree centigrade warming. That amounts to a full degree higher than the less ambitious target of the 215 Paris Climate Agreement for limiting global temperatures rise by 2010 relative to pre-industrial levels. Media reports say that the Blackfriars Bridge was held by a single 76-year-old woman who lay in the road and refused to move. Lucy Harding said that she had first learned about climate change from her stepson in 1976. Quote, that's a long time to know that we are in danger and it has been really frightening to see it coming closer and closer, seeing tipping point after tipping point pass, Harding said. It's awful to be 76, to actually see the end of my life coming and to know what has been left behind. In the latest act of provocation against the sacred site, at least 19 Palestinians have been injured in clashes as Israeli settlers stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque 
compound in the occupied old city of Al-Quds under the protection of the Israeli military. The settlers entered the compound on Sunday morning with a heavy military escort to mark the Passover holiday and perform Talmudic prayers. The Jewish religious occasion coincides with the Muslim month of Ramadan, at a time when thousands of fasting Muslims, predominantly Palestinians, usually stay at the holy site for worship day and night. Mass rallies have been held across the Muslim world in solidarity with the oppressed people of Palestine after Israeli forces on Friday barged into the Al-Aqsa Mosque and brutally assaulted Palestinian worshippers. Videos circulating online showed Israeli forces firing tear gas and stun grenades and Palestinians throwing firecrackers and stones. The Palestine Red Crescent Society, the PRCS, said its medics treated at least 17 people following the Israeli raid on the holy site, of whom three were hospitalized. The official Palestinian news agency Wafa reported that the attacking Israeli forces fired stun grenades and tear gas and chased out the worshippers to empty the holy site of its Muslim worshippers in order to allow the entry of settlers wishing to celebrate Passover inside the courtyards of the mosque. In this world, there's always someone willing to prove that things are never so bad that they cannot get a little worse. And this time around, it was the outlandish British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's turn. During a recent visit to the port of Denver, located in the south of England, and the arrival point of thousands of undocumented migrants, the head of government announced that asylum seekers will be sent to none other than Rwanda, an African country located some 7,000 kilometers away. To this effect, the Minister of the Interior, Priti Patel, traveled to Kigali, where she signed an agreement with the local authorities who agreed to assist in exchange for an initial payment of 120 million pounds sterling, about 157 million dollars. Then, all those who arrive deported from the United Kingdom will immediately receive a visa, will have ways to obtain residency and even to stay permanently in that country. This is a vulgar commercial operation where the object of exchange are tens of thousands of human beings whose hopes, aspirations, and needs are multiplied by zero, that is to say, completely annulled by an absurd decision. Nobody has said so far, not even Johnson himself, but perhaps it is time to explain if the migrants from Ukraine will receive the same treatment, which I doubt, because that would annoy Big Brother, the one who lives in the White House. The first reactions are angry, such as that of Tim Nauer Hilton, General Director of Refugee Action, who said that the plan is cowardly, barbaric, and inhumane way of treating people fleeing war and other evils. Last year, 28,500 people crossed the English Channel to seek a better life and leave behind conflict, natural disasters, famine, disease, and misery. There's no mercy for them, neither in the United Kingdom nor in other countries in Europe or the United States, but no one imagined that there would be someone capable of providing such a macabre solution. However, there's still more, because Johnson informed that from now on, the patrolling of the canal will be carried out by the British Royal Navy, which means the militarization of the waterway with the purpose of preventing the passage of any vessel loaded with undocumented immigrants. 
Everybody knows that no power welcomes migrants. But after Donald Trump's war, we thought we had seen enough. Now we discover that the perverse minds of certain people know no limits. Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, though there are no podcasts up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6,000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.